You're listening to episode 27 of the Eat Well and Live Full podcast. Well, hey there, guys. Welcome back to another episode. I'm excited for you to listen to this chat today. I think it is such an important topic and one that we need to make sure we are getting out more information about when it comes to the impact of nutrition on your mental health. This time of year especially, you know, we're at the towards the tail end of winter and for many people, it you could be on that range of just feeling down and out all the way to struggling ongoing with a mental health condition. And I think it's really important that you understand that there are so many tools out there and so many people who want to help you start feeling better. And so even if you yourself are not struggling with any mental health conditions, whether that be depression or anxiety or just feeling down and out, someone in your life is. That's just the statistic. So I encourage you to listen to this episode with an open mind and really start to think about who else you could be sharing this really critical, important information with. Today, my guest is Brittany Shepard of Crown Centered Wellness. She's a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified recovery nutrition coach. She's had a lot of experience helping clients achieve optimal wellness in and outside of the classroom. But it's more than that. She has actually been there. She has made these changes in her own life to rebalance her own brain chemistry before she even knew what she was doing. And now she's excited to bring all of the science and all of the tools behind it and everything that she's learned to help you work through whatever it is you are going through. I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation with Brittany. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi, Brittany. Hello. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I'm actually really excited for our conversation. I think it is something that people need to listen to. So if you are driving, if you are, you know, on the treadmill, pay attention to this episode. If it's not going to help you, it's going to help someone that you know, a hundred percent, I guarantee it. So I'm really excited for you to be here, Brittany. I'm so excited, Lexi. Woohoo! <laughs> Kick us off and just tell us a little bit about you and your story and how you even got into what you're doing now, because I think that that will really open up the conversation for us. Yeah, um, I think that growing up, I was a pretty normal kid. Um, didn't have, I call it trauma. I didn't have true trauma, and I don't want to little anybody else's trauma or like say certain things are issues for some people that aren't for others but in my life essentially the hardest thing that I had to go through was divorced parents um, but it also happened when I was really young and I had good family all around so they just weren't together but it doesn't mean that I had a bad family or anything was wrong so I essentially had like a pretty normal life 
um, you know, grew up pretty middle class, didn't have to worry about anything crazy, like not having food on the table or anything like that. Um, but starting probably middle school, high school, I just started feeling really down. Um, I think that little things would set me off or I wouldn't process things appropriately. Um, and I would just like hide a lot of this stuff and it obviously built up as most things do. Um, so then towards, you know, by the time I was like middle school, early high school, I was trigger warning, but I was, you know, self-harming. Um, I found that to be kind of like the only escape from the way that I was feeling. Um, even talking out loud, uh, even writing some of that kind of cathartic things that can happen, just, it wasn't working for me. Um, so I, unfortunately, like a lot of people do, I just let, I was like led to believe that I was broken. I was like, I don't have any significant event that pointed me to why I would feel like this. Um, but I do and nothing seems to be helping. So something is just wrong with me. Um, and I hit it for a long time and I would go through waves like most people do. Sometimes it's a lot like have really good months and sometimes you have really bad months. Um, and it all kind of just kept going all the way through college too. Um, I was still having some of those same actions and thoughts as I was graduating college, which then it was like, that was the best time of my life. College was like, I had so much fun, but I was still going through these emotions. And again, it's just like, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong inherently with me. So a little bit fast forward, a couple of years out of college, I actually started a nutrition program and I started it because I wanted to lose weight. That was the only goal. And it took three weeks and my whole life, like sort of just whirlwind type of change. Like I really committed to something for three weeks. And I think it was like just a testament to how bad my eating was before that that's all that it took was just three weeks of really concentrating to see like monumental changes. But what I realized more than the way that I was looking or the way my clothes were fitting, I was feeling like more myself. I was just excited to be awake, excited to do things. Um, I obviously still had bad days, still got stressed out, things like that. But I felt like I was all of a sudden able to process things and go through emotions and like a normal, healthy, happy person should be able to. So it took me a little bit longer to actually realize the connection was like, I changed the way that I was eating. And then it kind of was all of these things. So it wasn't just the way that I was feeling like mental health wise, but I like had a true food addiction, um, especially like in the, in middle school and didn't know like that, that has a lot. To, I mean, obviously it has a lot to do with what you're eating because it's food addiction, but it's more than that. It's like the nutrients that I was specifically lacking that led me to go through the same things over and over again. And so it was just food was the only thing that actually helped. And it took a long time to get there. But I was like, wow, this is kind of incredible. And so a little bit of a long-winded story, but eventually I was like, I need to do nutrition. This, this means a lot. And so I started doing generalized nutrition. I went through the same program Lexi did. Um, and we get to work with all kinds of clients, which is awesome. And I was seeing clients for all kinds of different things. But I think I really had to like refocus on the things that I felt like I could be the best practitioner for which was this mental health piece and with this brain chemistry, um, 
I think everyone comes to nutrition for different reasons and I applaud everyone for doing it. But I think that in the end of the day, I was like, I know I have the, the facts in front of me that, that, that this, this works, you know, changing the way that you eat actually affects your brain chemistry. And so went back to school, got the actual whys behind it all. Um, and now I'm here and now I'm just ready to share and talk to people about it. And yeah. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing because I too have struggled with my own depression and mental health as many of us have. And for you to be so open and sharing your story, it just opens doors for other people. If they're not ready to share or talk, at least mm-hmm. they can find connection in your story. And like we said at the very beginning of this podcast, it, even if it's not affecting you, it's affecting you indirectly because someone that you know, a friend, a family member is struggling. And you might only know the surface of that, but I think today what we're going to get into in the tie between nutrition and mental health is really going to open some people's eyes. And again, even if it's not directly related to you, it could definitely help someone that you care about. So thank you so much for sharing that. Let's just dive in and make that connection right now. So you talked a lot about, or just, you know, the introduction about how, when you started to change your eating, how much better you felt. And people seem to think that maybe it's, you know, oh, I lost weight. That's why I feel better. Or, oh, I'm less bloated. That's why I feel better. But we now have scientific evidence to prove that no, it's actually changing the chemistry of your brain and it is truly making you feel better to eat better, to get rid of those nutrition um, deficiencies, to get rid of you know, gut microbiome imbalances, things like that. So can you speak to the, the link between mental health and nutrition and open that door up a little bit for us? Yeah. And I think it's, it's going to be two like major veins. It's what you can eat and what you shouldn't eat, which are just two very different ways to approach it. I think what taking things out of your diet is probably going to be a lot easier for people, people to see that really fast connection. Um, for myself, when I was doing those nutrition challenges, they were, you know, strict elimination diets, like for three weeks, do not eat this, this, and this. And so I had like all the stuff, like leave my body. And then that way it was like, I was crystal clear when I remember this moment vividly, like there was one time I had just finished up like three weeks of doing this program. And so then I was like celebrating the next day at work or whatever. And went with my coworkers, there was a Dunkin' Donuts across the street, grabbed myself a donut, which was like my favorite food in the world. Like I love donuts and sat down. We were like, it was like a pretty chill Friday morning. So it was like no pressure. I started eating the donut and then literally within five minutes of eating it, I was like ready to cry. Just like all of a sudden was like, I feel awful. Like I not in like, Oh, that like hurt my stomach type of way. But like, literally I felt like I couldn't engage in the conversation. I felt so just sad all of a sudden. And like, I didn't have control of like what was going to happen next. And it was a really weird feeling for me. So I think people will probably notice things like that. Like, especially if you go through a period where you take some things out, um, you can kind of muddy the waters if you're not doing it like that. Like if there's a lot of things going on, but if you're not ready to take those kind of steps, if the thought of taking things out of your diet for a long time is 
really like too much for you to kind of comprehend. The whole other side that you can do to it is what you can add into your diet right away. Because the cool thing about our mood is that, yes, there's all these external factors that play a part, experiences we go through, pain, physical and emotional pain that we go through, but it's actually regulated by neurotransmitters. And so most people know what a neurotransmitter is, but if you don't, um, it's actually a receptor that regulates your brain chemistry. And there's debate on how many there are. Like some people think there's 40, some people think there's 200. I don't know. But there are a few handfuls of neurotransmitters that directly impact your mood and they regulate your emotions and your feelings. And in order to feed those neurotransmitters, you need amino acids. And if you don't know what amino acid is, it is a building block of not only neurotransmitter, but of protein. Now, most people understand protein. Most people know that protein is one of the main benefits to eating food. And what makes that up, if you break that down, is amino acids. And those same amino acids also build neurotransmitters. So, therefore, what we eat, all the protein that we consume, our body can break it back down to amino acids and then shuttle those amino acids to those neurotransmitters, which in turn regulate our mood. So that's kind of an oversimplification because there's a lot more nuance to it. But in all essence, that's, it's absolutely what it is. It's just that is how you make a neurotransmitter and how you get amino acids is by what you eat. Which is a, a huge thing for people who have been down this mental health journey and have been on medication before and have maybe had medications that worked or didn't work or worked for a period of time or maybe they had massive side effects as many of these medications do. And so knowing that if you break it down to its, you know, core of, okay, what's actually going on with our neurotransmitters? How is that affecting our mood? What do we need to help balance that? Wait, we can use food to do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What a huge thing. So can you speak to the medication side of things a little bit? Mm -hmm. And why are all these medications either having side effects or why are they not working? And nutrition is actually now winning and becoming the go-to thing when, when we're talking about depression and mental health, and especially when we talk about amino acid therapy. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to stigmatize anyone that is taking any medication for their 100% mental health. 100% agree. Yeah. I think that that's a, a very, a, a, a step that you should be commended for trying to go and, and fix that. And, and everyone's really unique, great. right? Yeah. Everyone's unique. Yeah. And their circumstances are unique. So a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a couple of things that I think more and more people will realize if they've been on the medication journey. So myself, I never was, I never got any kind of medication to help with any of my feelings. So I have kind of a clean slate. I had a clean slate to start from when I was talking about food, but this whole piece, I think the most, um, the most recognizable thing that people will know is an SSRI. So a Zoloft, Prozac, yeah, Prozac, Zoloft. Um, Those are SSRIs, which are selective serotonin re-up intake inhibitors, um, which is pretty much like the typical antidepressant. There's a couple reasons why that might not work. First and foremost, Some people don't realize that there's actually two major types of depression. And 
SSRIs only will work for one of them. If they do work, they're only going to work for one of them and they're actually going to make the other one worse. So they're a little nuanced. It's a little hard to tell. And it's people especially have like symptoms of both kinds of depression, but the true like bluesy, sad, I'm, you know, just like very low self-esteem, low worth type of depression that is a serotonin imbalance. So serotonin is our first neurotransmitter that we'll talk about, but that's an easy way to talk about the medication link too. But this other kind of depression actually is about your catecholamine system, which is another set of neurotransmitters like dopamine, um, norepinephrine, epinephrine. That, that whole piece of it is a different kind of depression. If those neurotransmitters are low, that's the apathetic depression. I don't want to do anything. I just have lost interest. I don't have emotions attached to my depression. I'm just uh, blank. I just don't have the ability to go through that anymore. And unfortunately, a lot of the times people get diagnosed or get given an SSRI for both types for both types of depression. So right off the bat, you have half the field that's not going to be able to, to benefit from that in any capacity because you're talking about serotonin when you should be dealing with their dopamine. Two completely different things. So that's one. But secondly, the selective serotonin reuptake process. So essentially what's happening is your body recycles serotonin. And sometimes it gets stored and sometimes it gets used. So the whole point of an SSRI is to keep more of it in a usable state. So to never have your body store it, so to speak. It's to constantly keep going and reusing it. But that's helping one piece of it, but if you don't have the serotonin in general, you have nothing to recycle. So that's a great process, but what are you even using? You know, a lot of people have just really, really low levels of serotonin in general. So if you're one of those people, even if you can get the cycling piece figured out, if you haven't built up this tank, so to speak, of serotonin that you can use, it doesn't matter. So that's a whole other piece of people that like, and it might work for a little bit, you know, you might be like, yeah, my SSRI like worked a lot in the beginning because at first, yes, you, you are using more serotonin, but you're still not replenishing your stores. So eventually you get to the point where it's like, uh, what's going on? I, I did work. It doesn't work now. So I think that's the biggest thing that people might realize. Like it's normal. First of all, it's normal if you're on an SSRI, you're on some kind of medication that's supposed to be helping, but could be making it worse, you're not alone. And it's just a disconnect of what your medicine is doing versus what you need. We see this a lot in holistic nutrition where, and again, I am all for using Western medicine as tools as much as possible, using medications when you need them. But as you mm -hmm. said, if it's not working or it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, a lot of the times it's because it's this band-aid approach. It's, you know, fixing one part of the kink in the cycle, but we're not actually getting to the root cause of what's going on and fixing that. So as you said, with this medication, mm -hmm. it's, it's making us, you know, have this loop. But if we don't have any serotonin to begin with, we need to actually work on, okay, how can we create more serotonin? right? Exactly. Exactly. So you, you mentioned two of the main neurotransmitters, but there, you said there was four when we talked earlier, um, before mm -hmm. the podcast. So can you break down the other two? 
Yeah, so we talked about serotonin, we talked about catecholamines. The other two, one most people have heard of, endorphins. Um, so this is another time where it's like, it's kind of hand in hand with serotonin. Like when you're trying to actually figure out if you're deficient in one, you're like not really sure because endorphins are all about joy. And if you're just not able to feel that joy, it's different than being sad. It's, a, it's you know, a little different. So if you can kind of like really quiz yourself and your emotions, like, am I truly feeling sad or am I not able to feel happy? Um, two different types of things. So endorphins is that I'm just not able to feel happy. Um, the cool thing about endorphins too is while there's obviously a lot you can be doing in your food, that neurotransmitter can be, uh, you can create more of it through so many ways. Like you can raise your endorphin levels through a million and one things. So nutrition does play a piece in it, absolutely. But it's kind of exciting to know that like you can do lots of other things to kind of help that one out. Um, and the last one I think is kind of getting more popular now, but some people still don't really know about it is GABA, which is gamma amino butyric acid. Um, Nailed yes. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, cause I was just like, yes, GABA. And I was like, yeah, which means, um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's an, it's an acronym. So GABA is a common neurotransmitter. So this is, some people might not know it by name, but this is some, the, the, across the board, the thing that I see most often in people, this is anxiety. If you are unable to calm down, if you are unable to just breathe and relax and feel safe in your body, so many times it has to do with GABA. And I mean, you've talked about in your podcast too before, like the whole stress management piece, which certainly plays into it, but this is really what's happening. Like, it, there's a lot of things at play, but the GABA neurotransmitters are blocked or they're not getting converted. So we just don't have the ability. Like even if we're like, yes, I, I set aside time to, to meditate, like I'm ready to do it. But if you're, if you don't have GABA to help you actually calm, then that's going to be an issue. And then this is, this is why like we talk about mental health, but I don't want anyone to think that they have to have put a label on their mental health in order to see some of these benefits because I don't want you to be like, yes, check the box. I am depressed. This podcast applies to me. No, actually a lot of just this mood stuff applies to everybody. And anxiety, like far and away is something that I see more. I see in every single client, like it's crazy. Like it's an epidemic. Honestly, I think it is that there's so many people that are just not able to, to tap into this, whether it's the parasympathetic state or just just relaxing and calming and calming your HPA access. And that all has to do with GABA. So that's the fourth one. That's awesome. I, I think that's very true that mental health is such a spectrum. And now that we are opening up conversations and being able to talk about it more and more, and people are realizing, okay, maybe I am somewhere on this spectrum and that's okay. And it's okay for me mm -hmm. to recognize it. It doesn't mean, like you said, I have to check the box on depression or anxiety or whatever you want to label it as. It's just to know that, okay, maybe feeling this way more often than none isn't great. So having mm -hmm. these really natural tools in your back pocket, like discovering what you can eat to, to change these neurotransmitters is great for whatever level of this mental health spectrum that you're on, right? Yes, absolutely. And I also wanted to speak to 
the medication side of things, even if you are on medication, you can almost, you know, double, double your chances of feeling yeah. better by making these nutrition changes uh, that we're going to talk about in a minute here, because you're just adding more fuel to the fire of being able to mm -hmm. make and create these neurotransmitters, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like some of the things that are becoming more commonplace too is being recommended multiple SSRIs and being on more than one, which actually runs the risk of serotonin syndrome, which is actually like a life-threatening type of situation when your body all of a sudden has too much serotonin. Um, so it is definitely something you want to have the conversation with your doctor always, but if it's just, if you're just eating food, you're good. Like if you're not doing the amino acid therapy, but you're on an SSRI and you're like, I just want to give myself exactly like you said, I want to double my chances. Yes. Food, you're good. Like you don't have to worry about it. And you can eventually be like, Hey doc, I don't know. I'm feeling a lot better. Can we at least adjust the dosage or something like that? And get off it. If that's your main goal, if it's not your goal, which is totally fine, you don't have to. Um, but I just think like exactly like you said, yeah, we're just really <laughs> putting ourselves on a good playing field to, to, to have that be effective. So what are, what's a really good starting point for someone who's in that, whether they're on medication or not, maybe they don't want to go as far as amino acid therapy, which again, we'll talk about in a second, but maybe they just want to start to make some, some nutrition changes and they want to get the most bang for their buck. So we know mm -hmm. drink more water, get more sleep, eat more vegetables, that kind of stuff. But besides that, is there something very specific that you can recommend for them to be eating or maybe for them to take away from their diet or at least start to reduce? Yes. There's a couple steps. So step number one is protein every four hours, period. Don't have to look more into that. That is the end of the beginning, middle, and end of the story. Some people want to overcomplicate that. And certainly there are certain amino acids in certain proteins and certain amino acids affect certain neurotransmitters. But if you don't want to overthink it, just keep getting protein. And your body is the smartest thing in the world. And it will know what to do with what you're eating. So by far and away, you need to be eating more protein. Everyone needs to be eating more protein. Um, this is something that I tell people all the time. Like, if you start to recognize, like, I'm, I didn't feel good at this point in the day or whatever. I was just like started feeling like really anxious about whatever. When is the last time that you ate, and what did you eat? And a lot of the times, it's like, well, I was at work, you know, because I had a presentation, whatever, and didn't have time for lunch. Okay, that's not helping you in any capacity. Or, well, yeah, I ran and I, I just grabbed a salad because I don't know about you, but that's the thing that I see all the time too. People are like, I eat so well because I eat salad. And I say, okay, so what's on your salad? This vegetable, this vegetable, this vegetable, this blah, 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 blah. And, and that's it. And they, like, they never think that like, I need to be getting protein. I'm not to say that all vegetables are completely devoid of protein, but I'm talking meat at every meal and more than every meal, every four hours when you're during your waking hours is going to make a monumental difference, especially as you start healing. Um, like I said, you don't have to kind of get too particular about it. If you're varying it, as long as you're not like, I eat chicken all day, every day, you're probably going to be okay. If you're mixing in your sources, you're probably going to get it, be getting all of the amino acids that you need to fill up any neurotransmitter, even 
beyond these four. And the other thing too is that amino acids from animal protein are what our body wants. Not to say we can't use it from vegetable sources, but if we're talking about the optimal usable form of an amino acid, it comes from animals. And animals also have all of them. Whereas the animal king or the plant kingdom, some people might have heard this, have certain amino acids. Like if you wanted to get people say like this old school way of thinking, like a complete protein in a vegetarian source, you would have to have beans and rice. Like that would hit all of you. That what they're talking about is amino acids. Having those two things would give you all of your amino acids, but you need to have both. An animal, you don't. You're just getting all of them and it's in a better form. So that's thing number one. Thing number two does go back to vegetables. So I know some people are like really hot and heavy on carnivore now. And I think, I mean, you're, you're, you're getting there. Like that's a good thing. Like having that, uh, like tons of protein, but there are cofactors that are absolutely necessary to having our body use those amino acids. It does nothing if we eat the amino acids and then we excrete them. We pee them out, we poop them out. It does nothing. That doesn't help us. We need cofactors so our body knows to take those and bring them to the appropriate place. So the cofactors are always like vitamins and minerals. And when it comes to mental health, the biggest ones are B6 and vitamin C. There are also some other ones like magnesium is really huge. Zinc can be really huge. Iron can be big. B12 can be big. But there is not any single thing that you go through in life that is not going to deplete your B6 and your vitamin C. Everything that you go through, every experience, every um, negative thing. So whether that's a negative food or whether it's an addictive substance like alcohol or marijuana or anything like that. Your B6 and your C are just getting destroyed. Um, so getting those from food is definitely an, a great way to go. Those are really good um, supplements too because you don't. there's no fear of overdosing because your body will excrete them if it's too much. Um, so if you're like, I, I could use some more extra support, which especially during times of stress, a lot of people will. You can supplement with a good B complex, getting an active form of B6 and a vitamin C, you're good to go. Um, but if that's too much for you, if you're like, uh, wait, what? You lost me. Like, go back to food, eat vegetables. Again, you don't have to overthink it. You don't have to be like, how much B6 is in an eggplant? I don't care. Just eat it and vary it up and you will be fine. And your body will be so smart and good and whatever. And you'll be golden. Um, so those are the two big things that you want to add in. So protein every four hours and getting your cofactors through vegetables is the easiest way. I mean, complex carbs can be a way, um, but that's a fine line and everyone's kind of bio-individual. Um, and then the fat, your healthy fat is actually what coats your brain. So if we're talking about our brain, we want to have it in the optimal state. So getting things like butter or ghee, other saturated fats, coconut oil, um, and then unsaturated fats, olive oil, um, avocado oil, all those kind of things. And then fish oil. 
so an omega-3 fatty acid, actually can act as an antidepressant. Um, it's not only anti-inflammatory, but it can be an antidepressant because it's setting your brain up to be receiving all of these things. It's coding your brain, getting the cells all primed and ready to go, making it nice and slick up there. So spoiler alert, it doesn't have to be crazy. You have to get protein, you have to get vegetables, and you have to get fats which is the same thing Lexi would tell you in any other podcast. Like there's nothing that has to change there. Um, so that's, I mean, it, you should be happy with that. Like it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. The other piece of it, like we talked about taking things out of it. Um, the biggest piece of when it comes to mental health is taking out sugar, which also is a, a huge thing elsewhere, but something new that I learned, like, you know, Lexi and I probably know the same, um, reactive hypoglycemia cascade, um, which essentially means that someone who's eating too much sugar, their blood sugar is going to spike. It's going to go up. It's going to go down in these huge hills and valleys, not in the way that it's intended, which is going to make us feel like crap the whole time. So obviously eating sugar does that, but things like having alcohol tanks our blood sugar. And we all know what happens after this. Then our body spins out of control. We get our adrenals involved. We get the whole HPA axis involved. But the other thing that's happening is your body is pulling adrenaline from your prefrontal cortex in your brain. Your prefrontal cortex is the main driver in your decision-making. If you're losing that ability, you're going to make bad food decisions because you're just, you're lost. Your brain physically is not able to operate. There's also some theories that it's where your willpower is. I hate saying willpower because I, I don't want it to be. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like so, it's like unfairly judgmental, like where your willpower is. But still at the same time, your prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for a lot of activities, you are draining, you're pulling it out of a homeostasis and you're priming yourself to relapse, whether that is more sugar. So it's like, constant, like I ate one piece of sugar and now I need 50 cookies, like keep going. Or if you're in addictive state to something else, like an alcoholic, this is why they are so, so prone to relapse because of exactly what's happening. This, this reactive hypoglycemia where their blood sugar absolutely drops because of alcohol. And then they have to get something sweet and it goes all the way up and they are just like this this and you just keep going back to substances because you need to regulate yourself because your body no longer can. So it's the same thing with food, it's addictive substances, but it all comes down to sugar. And I hate sounding like, I don't know, like you're like teacher, like don't eat sugar. Like I, I know it's not realistic for someone to be like, I'm never going to touch sugar again. I get it, but you can make a lot smarter choices. Um, and when you make those smarter choices and you start to realize what can happen, like what's a, a good side effect of, of making these better choices, then it becomes an easy decision. And it's like, I don't want to eat 50 cookies because I don't feel good. But versus, oh, it's Friday night and we went out to dinner and I would really like a piece of cheesecake right now. And you move on and you live your life and you're all good. Um, so... Yeah. I guess to recap, I'll just bring it back around. So yeah. things you can do, protein every four hours, animal sources, vegetables, vegetables for those cofactors, really good fatty acids, especially that omega-3 for your brain, 
and then taking out simple sugar. We'll just make it easier and simple sugar, get rid of it as much as you can. I, I love talking about this from that perspective as well, because, and what I mean by this is when you break it down like that, you're telling us the science of it. And it is so much easier to, whether it's willpower, which I th- I always talk about how I think willpower is BS, but um, it's more about just making a decision, right? Which is separate mm-hmm. from willpower. But what I'm trying to say here is that if you tell us the science of it and how our bodies are actually actually reacting and why we start craving that sugar, or if we have another addiction, or when we're feeling down, right? These things now start to blend. If we are have mm-hmm. anxiety, if we have depression, wherever we sit on that mental health scale, and then we add sugar, or we add alcohol, or we add drugs, or we add whatever that kryptonite is, that addiction is, you can see how scientifically you get pulled into this loop over and over and over again because mm-hmm. you're essentially just depleting your yourself of your resources and then your body goes well we need those resources back really quick what's a really quick way to yes. get them mm-hmm. right and and yep. you're not actually getting them you're just getting the satisfaction of you know the alcohol or the sugar or mm-hmm. whatever it is so it's this huge cycle and the i guess again to bring it all back to what i'm rambling about now is that <sighs> it's kind of cool in a way to think that it's not you. It's yes. body. Mm-hmm. It's your body, your chemistry, your makeup, your biology. What is happening is scientific, which means that we can tip the scale in our favor by yes. paying attention to what we're putting in our bodies, how we're treating our bodies and how they are functioning, which is so cool because it gives you the power right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Because I was also, when I was a teenager and dealing with my mental health and depression, just as you said at the very beginning of this podcast, and you have that moment of, am I broken? Is there something wrong mm-hmm. with me? Why can't I fix this? It's no, it's your body. It's scientifically something is askew here, whether it's yep. a big, a big miss or a tiny thing. And this is really cool because you're giving us really tangible practical ways to start bringing that back into balance. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, you can, you can let go of the guilt. You do not have to blame yourself in any capacity because your body's just doing what it's been trained to do. And you're naturally reacting to the state that your body is in. We can fix that. We can change that, but like, you don't have to feel bad. Like you don't have to, I mean, you're already feeling bad and you don't need to then guilt yourself being like, how, why do I keep coming back here? Like, why do I keep going through this? Everyone does. Your body is set up to go through it based on those few decisions that you've made, but you can just change those decisions and the cascade will take off from there. But you do not have to feel guilty about any of it. I love that. So let's dive deeper then. So if you want Mm -hmm. to, if you recognize, okay, maybe I do have an imbalance here. Maybe I am low on one of those neurotransmitters. And I want to do something more than just the basic nutrition. What would be the next step for someone? The next step is what's called amino acid therapy. Um, And it's pretty much what it suggests. It's using amino acids to reset your body. So it is essentially just going going deeper than just consuming protein. Um, This is really helpful for people that have had maybe not even lifelong, but like long-standing mental health imbalances, 
um, have gone through these things for years. But also if you have some other things going on in your body, like if you have pyloria, um, if you have some other conditions that just predispose your body, some other genetic mutations that predispose your body to not being able to absorb certain things in your food or use certain things. This is just kind of bypassing all of those layers if you're like really in a state of imbalance and just getting you relief faster. Now, it's not for everyone. Um, there are some really big contradictions to amino acid therapy, like melanoma. Like if you're, if you have that type of cancer, you absolutely cannot do this. Um, the same reason why their whole diet like avoids protein because the amino acids is going to just continue to destroy cells. Um, and some other contradictions too, but for the most part, it's safe for everybody because it's food. It's just broken down. Um, you don't really have to worry about crazy side effects because most of the time it's like, the side effects are just going to be the same thing that you're going through. Like if, if you were trying to do an amino acid for, to help your anxiety, if it doesn't help and it makes your anxiety worse, then we know that amino acid is not for you and we move on. Like no harm, no foul. You're no, you'll be no worse off than you were when you started. Um, so it's really taking these, these building blocks and giving them to you in concentrated doses. So for things like serotonin, um, it's actually tryptophan that is the amino acid that's going to start the whole cascade. Tryptophan gets converted to 5-HTP, gets converted to serotonin, and then serotonin gets converted to melatonin. So all of these very regulatory, good feeling, um, stable hormones, all of this that you want to go through, all has to do with getting tryptophan. So I could tell you, go eat you know, six ounces of turkey, or I could say 500 milligrams of tryptophan. And it'll be different for every person, but for those people that are in a compromised state where your body's going to have to keep going through all of these other mechanisms to break down the turkey and get to the tryptophan, we're just cutting corners, not in a bad way, but like, we're just like getting straight to the point with amino acid therapy. So that would be it for serotonin. For endorphins, it's actually phenylalanine. Um, it's actually D-phenylalanine. There's most amino acids, almost all of them have two different structures. And one, so the, the D-phenylalanine helps your endorphins, whereas L-phenylalanine helps your catecholamines. So, you know, some of it's pretty nuanced, which is why, like this whole thing, I should have said at the beginning, this whole thing, this is what you do with a practitioner. Yeah. You don't want to guess with this stuff because it's expensive to guess and just not see results, but also like, I'll tell you in a second, there's a huge difference between D-phenylalanine and L-phenylalanine. Your endorphins, obviously that's, you know, you feel good, you're happy, all that stuff. Catecholamines, that would be the L-phenylalanine because that turns into tyrosine, which is what your catecholamine system likes. So that's replenishing your dopamine. Um, so again, you're just getting back to the point of like stabilizing yourself faster. And then GABA, GABA is the really interesting one because there are some research that suggests that you can supplement with GABA. And then there's a lot that says you can't. I think it's still a bio-individual thing. So you can actually back up and try to think about what GABA is fundamentally going through. And its conversion is... Alglutamine goes to glutamate, goes to GABA. But 
a lot of us get stuck in the glutamate section, but supplementing with GABA may or may not work. So what you do instead is you try to attack the glutamate. So things like L-theanine or L-theanine, wow, L-theanine is something that would help block the glutamate receptors. So that way you can just get more GABA. So it's all kind of like these levers, essentially, that there's this long chain of conversions that already has to happen. And you figure out where in your body we would need to slot you in to make it as easy on yourself as possible. Like what part of the conversion process is getting messed up? Same thing we were talking about in the beginning with serotonin. Like, great, you can cycle through it, but if you don't have this one piece of it, there's nothing that you can, that's not going to help you. You're cycling nothing. Same thing with all of the rest of them. You have to know the entire cascade. You find the piece of your body that is not able to make that conversion to get to the end game, which is feeling better, acting better, regulated moods and sleep, stress management, all that kind of stuff. So doing the amino acid therapy is boiling it down and making it a lot easier. And that would be in conjunction with things like definitely supplementing B6, definitely supplementing vitamin C. Also things like, like SAMe, um, all of these other kind of cofactors that are processes that are supposed to be happening in your body at the same time. But if your body's in a compromised state, you're going to need to take out all of the barriers and boil it down to this. So you can find a practitioner who can walk you through it, find what serotonin or uh, what neurotransmitter is out of balance and find the appropriate amino acids for you. But, and I'll make sure a hundred percent, I'll put all Brittany's contact info in the description. <laughs> and so you can reach out to work with her. You can reach out just to ask her questions, to learn more, but you could see it's very simple and yet very complicated if you don't know the science. And that's the joy of working with a, a niche practitioner like yourself is that now you have become the expert in this and now you will be able to walk people through it. And as you said, it's, it's so simple in the sense that, hey, you're missing this or your body is not able to get this from the food that you're eating, maybe for a genetic reason, maybe because you're not digesting properly. You know, it could be a thousand different things. So mm -hmm. let's just bypass all of the stuff that might be going wrong and give you what you need. And then mm -hmm. your body will know what to do with it because it's not yes. a medication, right? It's not, this is not yep. a medication that we're, we're giving our body that is synthetic and man-made. This is technically, you know, a piece of food just broken down to the very, you know, little chunk that our body needs or is missing, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And it's exactly what you're saying too. It's not medicine. It's a healing protocol. So you would go through amino acid therapy. Some people need like two weeks and they're like, yep, I'm good. And you've kind of cleared out some of the things that are happening in your body and you start changing your diet and you're like, okay, so I took care of like that little piece of me that was missing and I don't even have to think about it again. Some people it will be longer, but at the end of the day, it's like, you don't have to think, you don't have to think about being on an addictive substance for the rest of your life because it's just food powdered up and making it easier on yourself. So yeah, a hundred percent. So we talked a lot about, uh, just mental health in general in terms of depression and neurotransmitters. But we did also have a little conversation about addiction and how that 
starts to feed into what is going on in your body as well. So I know you have more information to give us in that connection between mental health and addiction and how we can start to use nutrition to just maybe start to even just think about breaking that, that cycle a little bit. Mm-hmm. You have more information to give us on the connection there between what we've been talking about and addiction and we should define addiction, right? Because it could be, yes. it, it's not just alcohol and drugs. There's many different types of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. It's any, so like I was mentioning in the beginning, I had a food addiction. So it is any kind of substance that you might be drawn to, but like we've already covered, it's because of a reason. It's not a willpower issue. It's not a need to be worried about yourself. Like, again, like guilting yourself. Like, why do I keep going back to chocolate? Like, why do I need to eat chocolate like 60 times a day? Like, what is, or caffeine? Like, that's a huge one for people. Like, that's an addictive substance just because people keep going back there because what your body's doing is reaching for something that these neurotransmitters are responsible for. So like endorphins, feeling that joy, you're looking for joy somewhere else. Some of it's very healthy. Like some of it's, I want to feel happier. And so I go for a workout and I'm able to bring up my endorphins. So none of that is wrong, but sometimes it's reaching for another addictive substance that to replace that feeling. And that's why you can't break it because what you're doing is filling a temporary void. You're putting a bandaid on it, like you mentioned earlier. You're just getting through that time and space in that moment and not actually replenishing the stores of the chemicals that your body needs to make you feel joyful all the time. You're just worried about right then and right there, which is why relapse is so prominent if you're not addressing some of this stuff, which is why it's like so many treatment centers get this wrong. And I don't want to talk down about any of it because it's, there's a lot more to it. And there's a lot of psychiatry to it too, which is also just like not part of what I do, but obviously plays a huge role in it. But why do people relapse so much from going to a normal, typical treatment center? Because they just replace what you're doing. We don't want you to drink anymore. We don't want you to drink alcohol anymore. Drink more coffee. They just give you a different substance because that's the, they're like, you're winning. You're not drinking caffeine or whatever. Or people all the time get put on sugar instead, like have sweets all of the time because that is just filling that same void that alcohol did. They're not addressing why you're feeling that way in the first place. That is why it's really important to take a look at some of this stuff. But it's the same thing that we talked about. It's the same way to get over this stuff. It's replenishing your body with nutrients. It's putting all the stuff back into place so your body doesn't have to go through those cravings, doesn't have to have those experiences anymore. It's the same thing, like all these people that have anxiety and like like, why everyone is like all up on marijuana nowadays, which I think there's a lot of good to it. Like I think you've probably talked about it before, like the difference between CBD and THC, like what that actually means and like how CBD just replicates part of our system a non a, like a our eco-cannabinoid system. So it's a, a different element to this anxiety reducing, but the THC can be really psychoactive and really messes with certain people. Some people it doesn't matter as much, but 
that's just all of these things. It's just like, you're filling this void with just like, it's like putting toothpaste in a pothole. Like it'll work for the first car that goes by maybe, but then like, it just, it's going to fall right out and you have to do it all over again. And so it's going to be the same process for mental health as it is for addiction treatment. It's the food. It's starting over again and putting your body back into the homeostasis, putting it back into the space it's supposed to be to just naturally do all of these things. Yeah. I think you just summed that up beautifully. That was great. <laughs> this has been so enlightening for me. I know I've learned a lot more and I know that my listeners are going to love this as well. So we'll probably have some follow-up questions and maybe have to get you back to dive even deeper next time. But thank you so much, Brittany. This was, like I said, so enlightening and such a great conversation. It's always nice to talk to you. So yeah. If anyone is looking for resources right now, they, they listen to this podcast and they're like, I want to find a practitioner. I want to learn more besides just reaching out to you. What's a great thing to just Google so that they can learn some more about this kind of stuff? Um, I'm not sure about Googling, but you can go to the bookstore and you can get this. Oh, people aren't seeing this video. I will put the link of the book in the description for all of those who cannot see audio. Okay. So for the, the play-by-play is I just picked up right off my desk. I keep this literally on my desk is a book called the, the Mood Cure by Julia Ross. This is where I started my research before I got into an actual program. This book alone is like, it's monumental. Like you're going to go through a questionnaire right in the beginning that's going to tell you, in essence, which neurotransmitter you might be deficient in and then immediately starts talking about what food to eat. Like that's it. Like that's the whole book. You're going to write from the book, learn about where your levels are, talk about food. And she actually does get more into the supplementation piece of it. But I would still recommend always, like if you're going to do any of that to talk to a practitioner, um, they're trained to deal with adverse side effects. If any of that happens, this is just a book. You can't, and to you keep know, you something accountable. happens. That's the huge thing. Yeah. Right? Keep you accountable, yeah. keep you on the path and, mm-hmm. and see the bigger picture for you. So yeah, absolutely. And then the other book that I really like too, it, it's not, so the, the mood cure is definitely about specifically neurotransmitters and, and regeneration there, but there's a book called Seven Weeks to Sobriety that is really enlightening when it talks about addiction. Um, so it is about, you know, alcoholism. Um, the author had her son, uh, he actually committed suicide after being an alcoholic. And so that's why she like, was like all of this connection between mental health and addiction. And I just think it was really cool. And it has a lot of really good insight into, into fatty acid deficiency and why that plays a huge role in some of these imbalances and how that like is actually part of certain ancestries. Like if you come from a certain part of the world or your, your ancestors did, you are likely deficient and you're just setting yourself up for addiction because you just don't have some of the same stuff that other people do. So I think that's an incredible book just to just learn about the science, maybe not as many takeaways as like the mood cure might be, but I think it's an incredible book. I'll make sure that I link both of those books 
in the description so that you can click on the link and see the cover and you don't have to imagine it over <laughs> audio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Brittany. And I know we'll yeah. chat again soon. Awesome. Thanks. This is an episode that I want you to share. If you enjoyed it, please share it with somebody that you care about, somebody that needs to hear it. Take a snapshot of you listening to it and post it on social media. Tag Brittany and I in it. We'd love to see you listening to it. But more than that, put it on Facebook, put it on your Instagram, email it to somebody because this information is so important. It's so important. It could change someone's life completely. So thank you again for joining me for an awesome podcast episode and more to come this season. I'm so excited. The interviews are just getting better and better. And I will catch you guys next Wednesday for a brand new episode. Like always, have an awesome week.